Hey everybody, thanks for tuning in to the nateholdridge.com podcast. Today we're talking about dreaming, and we're looking at the life of Paul back in Acts 23, and talking about taking steps for God, following God in these dreams that he puts inside of our hearts, and also how to kind of course correct when things don't shake out the way we think that they're going, or when God moves us into a new opportunity, a new direction. So we pray this conversation is helpful for you today and the things that you're dreaming about praying through. So let's get right into it. So Nate, I feel like I have just like a slew of questions for you that if I sat down and wrote them down in Evernote, I would just have just like a grip of them. I think that just from time to time, I just want to start off these podcast episodes by throwing one at you. Are you okay with that? Just kind of like putting you on the spot for a second. This is exciting. (laughs) What is, what has been like a book for you that has been like transformative in your Christian life? Oh man, I I always hate that question. So thanks for (laughs) asking it. Just catch your off guard. (laughs) The reason I do is because I, you know, like I have a list of books that I've read uh, every year, you know, like, right. okay, so this, this is, reader. This is right. a book. These are the books I'm reading this year. These are the books I'm reading this year, you know, and whenever somebody asks me, like, can I see that list? You know, I'm almost kind <laughs> of embarrassed because I feel like, you know, some of these, like, I think in five years, I'm going to be so past mm. these subjects and issues. Anyways, <laughs> it's hard to really say, like, yeah. what are the ones that are most significant? I think the spiritual leadership book by J. Oswald Sanders mm. is a great one. Yeah. That I was just actually thinking about it today. It really I think um I think it's a, it actually helped me to learn how to talk straight because it's just mm. real straight talk it on is, what yeah. leaders need to be and what God is trying to do in your life. So I really love that one. A book that has really helped shape some of my convictions regarding Sabbath and Rhythms is a book called Margin by hmm. Dr. Richard Swanson or Swenson. Yeah. And uh, I usually revisit that book once every couple of years and just cool. kind of, you know, every year at least I'll go through all the highlights that I have of it just to kind of refresh my mind in it. At least that's what I've done over the last, you know, seven or eight years. Um, I loved when I was first starting to walk with the Lord Anything I could get my hands on by Alan Redpath was just oh, yeah. really helpful to me. It just right. kind of, he just kind of talked my language, you know. Mm-hmm. I know a lot of people really love like Tozer, and I I love Tozer, but uh, Redpath just I don't know. There was a there was a manliness and a mm-hmm. grittiness to him that I really appreciated That's and true. liked, you know, and especially his stuff on the life of David or uh, Nehemiah. I really appreciated those books. A very instrumental book in just me, like understanding the the Holy Spirit, the way the Spirit could operate and work re- really early on in my Christianity was Living Water by Pastor oh, yeah. Chuck Smith. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't know, man. I'd have to go back That's in the cool, archive and, and really kind of think through a <laughs> lot of different books to kind of give you like my top five or something yeah. like that. But that was a great list. I know you're a reader too, and I thought that it'd just be fun to hear what you've been reading and especially what sticks out out of all the books that you read. So thanks for going along with the question. I appreciate you it. You got it, man. <laughs> Who knows when that kind of question will come up again, but I thought it'd be kind of fun to start off uh, just with that. I'm going to be more prepared next time. I'm going to have my Evernote list 
of books that I've been reading. There you go. Yeah, I'll, yeah. I'll be ready, and then I'll just blow you away. Just whoop them out, man. <laughs> <laughs> hey, well, thanks for that, Nate. Today we're talking about this article you wrote called When a Dream Goes Unfulfilled. Um, so it's about dreams. Would you consider yourself a dreamer? You're not like a daydreamer, but you get down dreaming. Yeah, I mean, bit. yeah, I, I think if 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 by a dreamer you're talking about uh, somebody that's you know very uh, like head in the clouds and can't concentrate right. you know, and things like that, then no, I don't think that's who I am. Although I do have a hard time concentrating sometimes, <laughs> but when it comes to like dreaming about what God wants to do uh, in our fellowship or in my family right. or in my own life personally. I definitely am a dreamer, you yeah. know, with stuff like that. In fact, even just this morning, that was one of my prayers to the Lord was just asking God to expand the horizons of my mind hmm. that I could see a little bit more clearly his vision of what a vibrant church looks like, wow. you know, because yeah. it's real easy to just kind of get your image of that kind of thing from what you've seen in other fellowships right. or what you've seen uh-huh. in churches online or when you go visit other churches throughout the world, you know, you kind of get like a bit, yeah. a little bit better of a picture of what a healthy, vibrant church looks like. And then, you know, by the grace of God in your, in our own fellowship, there's, you know, these beautiful signs of health and vitality that you kind of cling on to right. and you praise God for. Um, but I just don't want to uh, sell the Lord short on what mm. could be, you know, what is possible. And, uh, you know, so just was kind of praying about that a little bit. You know, I, growing up in a Calvary Chapel, you know, movement, I've heard so many stories of the initial beginnings in Calvary Chapel and, right. you know, the the countercultural movement that was happening in America and the way that the Holy Spirit broke out upon a generation of young people. And so I've heard, you know, stories like that. And, you know, so it's it's very tempting to hear contemporary stories. Right. Or even to go back to places like the book of Acts and God's word and get your own. You kind of even just with that can kind of contrive your own weaker vision so easy. of what yeah. could be, you know, what mm-hmm. the Lord would, would want to do. And so I was just, yeah, kind of like, Lord, would you just help me to dream of you know something so incredible that you want to do you know yeah. maybe it had something to do with you know at the time we're recording this you know i just taught ephesians 4 1 to 16 to our church on last sunday morning so that is a vision that the lord has of what right. the church looks like you know a body where everybody's working properly yeah. you know and the word-based ministries are feeding everybody everybody's attitude is really good you know there's humility and gentleness and love that's flowing real eagerness to maintain the unity of the spirit a conviction you know that we're one together you know yeah um but just like what the implications of that are that i think that's what i was praying to the lord about like lord help me to have a vision of that a dream you know so if that's if that's what you mean by dreaming then yeah Oh, I think yeah. I do. I love yeah. that. <laughs> it sounds like it. I love that. Just God-sized dreams. In this article, Nate, you talk about the Apostle Paul back in the book of Acts. Yeah. And you reference this one story from um, Acts 23. 
Hmm. And maybe to kind of get the conversation started, could you tell us just about Paul, what was happening at that time? What was the dream that he had and that he was really going forward with? Yeah, so you really get a picture of the dream when he wrote in the epistles things like in Romans chapter 9, the opening verses there of that chapter that he would, and this is my paraphrase, that he would be willing to trade his own salvation in for the salvation of the Jewish people. Mm -hmm. So his dream, from the moment that he got saved, he wanted to take this gospel message that as a Jewish Pharisee, Mm -hmm. he had rejected for so long and vehemently rejected. He wanted to take that gospel message to his kinsmen, his fellow Jew, and preach the gospel to them. And obviously his dream wasn't just to preach the gospel to them. His dream was that they would then receive the (laughs) gospel that he preached, you know. And, you know, Paul would be the first to say, you know, that he could not control the results. His responsibility was just simply to communicate that message and that the Lord had to give the harvest. But, you know, if you asked him, like, what, what would you dream of? What would you really want? I think he'd say, my dream is to preach the gospel to Jews. Let me make it a little bit better than that. My dream is to preach the gospel to Jews in Jerusalem. Wait, let me make it a little bit better than that. My dream is to preach the gospel to Jews in Jerusalem at the Temple Mount. Right. Wait, better than that, they then receive yeah. the gospel message. Hmm. And it seemed like everything in the book of Acts was lining up for that. Right. I mean, the Holy Spirit was speaking through various prophets and different people from town to town telling Paul that there would be adversity when he got to Jerusalem. But, you know, he went to Jerusalem, made some peace with the church leaders there in Jerusalem, went to the temple to show that he still appreciated uh, the the temple and was, you know, willing to interact with Jews in that kind of way in that mm-hmm. era. And then rumors began to spread. People said that he brought a Gentile into the temple uh, area, which was not true, but that was the rumor. They gathered together to try to mob him. The Romans rescued him. Then he asked the Romans, can I talk to them? And they said, yes. And everybody gathered together. They all listen intently. And he's like sharing his testimony of what Jesus has done, who Jesus is, the Messiah. But then, you know, when... He said, and then that Messiah told me to go tell the Gentiles about him. Yeah, That's mm-hmm. when the message ended because right. they'd no longer hear it. And, um, you know, he was drugged into the prison and was alone that night. And, mm-hmm. you know, the Lord in that moment told him, just as you've testified to me in Jerusalem, you're going to testify in Rome so crazy. also. So I've always read it as that, as a dream that this man had, a deep desire that the, that the Lord, I think, had fashioned in his heart. I mean, yeah. You have to say that that love for the Jewish people was so divine. Right. But, you know, he didn't get to see it happen. He didn't get to yeah. see that salvation in a massive kind of way there in Jerusalem. And I'm sure it was hard for him, you know, yeah. to get drugged back into that prison all that hope and all that anticipation and boom, it didn't happen. So crazy. There's a couple different questions I want to ask about that story. It's so powerful. Maybe the first one could be, you know, it seems like whenever we have this kind of God-sized dream, whenever we allow God to maybe permeate something inside of us to then act on that dream, 
it can be intimidating because of uh, the potential risk of failure. You know, maybe thinking like, I want to go teach God's word at like to the kids ministry or something like that, or to somewhere um, in my church or my family, but saying like, I don't know if anybody will listen to me, if I'll be effective, or thinking like I don't have enough time to do this dream in front of me, all kinds of reasons. But it seemed like Paul didn't have any kind of fear in that kind of way. What, like what caused him to be so bold to go forward with this? Like it was like an impossible kind of task, you know what I mean? It was kind of like a huge thing to be put in front of him and for him to put his life into. What what caused that boldness inside of him? And maybe how does that play into our lives today? Yeah, well, what caused that boldness within him was grace. Hmm. Uh, he told the elders of, of the Ephesian church on the island of Miletus that the he did not shrink from declaring to them anything and that he was able to go through humility and tears and trials Mm. that happened to him and that he did not count his life of any value nor as precious to himself uh, if only to to finish my course and the ministry that I received, he said, from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel Mm. of the grace of God. It was the message that he was wanting to preach that was actually the motivation for being so selfless and so sacrificial. The message was worth that kind of level of sacrifice and and motivation. So Mm. I'm convinced that the reason that Paul was so hardcore is not because he had that kind of temperament or because he was just kind of, you know, radical or male or something like that. But I'm convinced that he was that way and had that fearlessness because of first a doctrinal theological Mm. thing that had totally just grabbed a hold of his heart. Yeah, And that that truth, when it interacted with him inwardly, it just changed who he was and the way that he operated. So I don't think that it was just he's he's kind of a zealous person or he's just kind of radical, you know? So he persecuted the church before he got saved, and then after he got saved, of course, he's going to apply the same radical spirit into his church life and world. I I really, I mean, maybe, maybe there's... Maybe some of that is true, but he never attributed it to that. He said, it's the grace of God that has appeared, which has made us a people that are zealous for good works. That's what he said to Titus. Yeah. And, you know, it just seems like what you've got is a guy who his mind comprehended the truth and the truth, Hmm. I don't know, maybe you could say it this way, set him free from himself and he just went for it as a response to the way that that truth had gripped his heart, had gripped right. his life. Yeah, that's beautiful. Um, it seems like, too, so he so he had this deep conviction, had experienced grace, received the truth, and it propelled him towards moving forward. He had this God-sized dream, went forward with mm-hmm. it, um, and then plans changed, and he went to prison. And it just seems like he didn't become bitter. He didn't have any kind of angst towards God, at least that we read about. Instead, it seems like God came and met with him and encouraged him. Um, 
can you just kind of talk to us about that? I feel like sometimes like when we move forward to something and it doesn't go the way we hope that we can just yeah. become bitter, you know? Yeah. And it's like, he just didn't seem that way. Yeah, the He's crazy like, thing with Paul it. is that he became, in a sense, you could say more fruitful after that. Yeah, totally. You know, it was like, it's he's crazy. just like, okay, I'm locked up, you know? And what happened to him after that moment is mm-hmm. that eventually, for his own safety, the Romans sent him up the coast to Caesarea, and mm-hmm. the governors up there just kind of, you know, kicked around right. for a few years until he finally got to the point where one of them said, hey, uh, how, what do you think about going back to Jerusalem to have a trial there? So he's been locked up for over two years by that point. Yeah. And he knows it's going to be dangerous for me to go to mm-hmm. Jerusalem. This is just a big setup. And so he then appeals to Caesar. And so he's put on a ship, travels right. you know, as a prisoner to Rome, and the book of Acts ends with him on house arrest. But what you see there is that Paul did not waste his time. Hmm. You know, during during that time that he was imprisoned, he began writing a lot of the epistles that he wrote that are found in the New Testament. And, I, and it also seems that a lot of time was spent during that time, especially in Caesarea, with Luke recounting details and telling Mm. Luke where to go and who to talk to because Luke was preparing all his source material for the book of Luke and the book of Acts, which is so important, you know, for us. So in a sense, you know, Paul was very involved with the gospel of Luke and then also the book of Acts and partly because of that time that he had there in prison. So, I mean, you could just build and then on top of that, as you're kind of reading through the book of Acts and then the different epistles, you're seeing this steady stream of Christian leaders going in and out of his prison cell. Right. You know, So he's like sending people right. out, he's organizing people, he's telling people to go to certain places to do certain kinds of ministry. So he's just like becoming a boss you know, there in prison. And just doing really powerful stuff. Wow. And yeah, so obviously you got a guy who didn't just sit there and sulk and say, I didn't get what I wanted in Jerusalem. Right. And I'm so sad about that. He was able to move past it. And I don't know, man, I've been thinking about this a little bit in my own life. Uh, one thing I've noticed is that um, when there's like a, a vision or a desire, you know, something that I'm like, man, I'm going to, I'm going to pursue that. I think mm-hmm. that's what the Lord has for me to go after. You know, I, I've grown enough to know that I can't really know for sure how that's going to pan out. Right. I don't really know exactly how it's going to take or what the fruit's going to mm-hmm. be. And I might have things in my mind that I'm hoping for and that I'm imagining. But what I've noticed is that that step in whatever direction it is in yeah. obedience to the Lord whether it ends up being hyper fruitful or kind of disappointing, it always it, it always opens the door to the next thing. Mm-hmm. There's always something beyond that opportunity that even if the thing that I stepped out into kind of failed, it's like I learned something, I saw something, yeah. a connection was built, a relationship mm-hmm. was built, and now I'm ready for the next thing, you know, that the that the Lord wow. has you know, for me to, to do. Hmm. So that really is helpful to me. And I'm, I'm sure it'd be helpful to anybody who's wanting to serve the Lord, you know, because 
you know, you just kind of, there's times where things don't go exactly as you, as you plan. I was just talking to a friend of mine recently, you know, and he was asking me, you know, about our fellowship and what we got going on. He's a fellow pastor, but he's down in the San Diego area. And he's like, okay, so you guys have this sanctuary two thing, you know, what is that? So I'm talking to him about it. He's like, oh, okay, that's cool. That's kind of like a, a satellite campus, but on your own you know, site, you know, right. so that's kind of neat. You know, have you ever had a satellite campus that's, you know, or have you ever thought about having one that's offsite? And I'm right. like, well, we, I did. We did actually <laughs> years ago, you know, I think it was like 2008 or nine or 10 or something like that. We had yeah. a small little uh, Sunday service in downtown Monterey. And, you know, it was like we met for almost two years and, you know, it was cool on, right. on a lot of levels. Yeah. The Lord was definitely doing things, mm-hmm. but it totally was not, you know, you would not have looked at it and said, man, this is banging right now. Right. You know, it was just right. very humble, very meek. Uh, uh, you know, there were a lot of things we couldn't do because we had some space restrictions right. and stuff like that. Yeah. Things like kids ministry and stuff like that. And, and we were just kind of learning, you know, like how do, how do you actually do this kind of thing? But even though, I mean, when we got to the end of that time, I was praying that the Lord would close the door for that because mm. it was so neat and yeah. sweet. But on the other hand, it just felt like this is not sustainable. And so the building got sold out from underneath us, and we all considered that like a yeah, closed door. The right. Lord has is taking this little group of 30, 40 people, and he's moving us on, and we're going to be assimilated back into the larger right. body. you know. But it was really cool for us. Like all the things that we learned, you know, it's like, I'm ministering to guys all the time that are planning churches and their fellowships are like right about that size when they're first getting started. So I'm like, I know what that feels like. I know what that size, that number of people, you know, feels like how much you feel like you can do, can't do. I can relate to that. I can, I can think, you know, it's, it's not like I know everything about multi-site kind of stuff, but Mm -hmm. that has given me a little leg up and seeing, you know, how things would work and stuff like that. And then also just realizing and the same people can't do everything in the morning hmm. at the main site and then at night at a secondary site. It's just not physically possible. Yeah. You just get so fatigued and then your heart mm-hmm. is not there. I started seeing like a division of our own like vision and heart wow. and emphases, yeah. you know, when we have leadership meetings. So I learned a ton, you know, from that time. <laughs> the list could go on and on. Yeah. But we wouldn't have never learn those things without you know trying and and doing and and right. uh, you know giving it an an effort you know or it's like the book writing thing i always say you know it's like i'm in my mind at least my thought is it'll be the 10th book that's actually good <laughs> you know so but you can't just sit down normally and yeah. you know your first attempt expect that it's going to be something that right. everybody wants to read right. you know hopefully right. it's helping some people and encouraging some people but you know, you just have to keep going and see, you know, what happens as you, you know, progress and, and keep moving. But I've just, I've learned so much from dreams that did not pan out. Yeah. Wow. That is so cool to hear. I'd love for you, Nate, just to kind of close out this episode with, um, if you could just kind of make some comments about Proverbs 14. Uh, yesterday in our staff meeting, you shared from Proverbs 14 about this verse about the ox and the clean stable and producing fruit. Can you kind of talk to us about that and what that 
looks like in pursuing the dreams in front of you. Yeah, you liked that one. I loved you? that, man. It was so good. Yeah, so Proverbs 14, verse 4, it's one of my favorite little Proverbs. It says, Where there are no oxen, the manger is clean, but abundant crops come by the strength of the ox. Mm-hmm. And what you have there in that verse is a decision. Uh, every person must decide. And, and the decision is this either to have a clean manger or abundant crops. So what is it that you really value? What right. is it that you mm-hmm. really want? Do you want no risk, no mess, uh, no edginess, everything clean, everything organized, everything protected, or do you want abundant crops? Right. Because the proverb is saying you can't have both. <laughs> Yeah. If you want the abundant crops, then some oxen are going to be living in that manger, and oxen are not clean and tidy. Right. There's going to be messes that you're going to have to clean up as a result. But if what you value is a clean manger, you like everything to be just so, then uh, what you're saying is, man, I don't want the Lord to disrupt my life. Right. I don't want mm-hmm. you know to have to go beyond my comfort zone. I want to stay in my comfort zone. Mm-hmm. And in your comfort zone usually is not that's usually not a place where there's there's a lot of fruit yeah it's true so for us to get to a point of saying you know before god lord i confess to you that there is a part of my life and my heart where i do want the clean manger i do want Mm. the clean stalls i am drawn to that Uh, but the true me the real me the, the deepest inner part of me wants fruit. I want to see mm. a harvest. I want to see people grow. I want to see people saved. I want to see you use my life. And the reality is, Lord, that's what I want. So help me to get past mm. this clean manger syndrome right. that I have, you know, and, and, and show me those things that, you know, it's worth the disruption right. in order to get the fruit. You know, it's worth mm-hmm. a little bit of chaos Amen. or being put out of my pushed out of my comfort zone to get, you know, some of that fruit. So I think that's just a great exercise for every Christian to go through. You know, yeah, my totally. my version of, you know, the clean manger or, you know, what that what that would look like for mm-hmm. me is different than what it would look like, right. you know, for you. But you know, the reality is it's, it's worth it, you know? So I think just kind of going through that process of saying, Lord, you know, I, I want the, I want the abundant crops more than I want that, that clean manger. You know, I was talking with, when I was sharing with the staff about it yesterday, I was talking about, you know, as someone who's serving a local church, a local congregation, Mm -hmm. you know, there's part of me that when it comes to you know staff and people that are serving here you know there's part of me that just wants like obedient quiet (laughs) don't make any messes people you know to be involved but then you know we bring these guys guys like you guys like shively you know and others on board that are you know wanting to see like Hmm. you know where could i take this group and what could i do with these people and there's times where you make mistakes and you try oh, things yeah. that don't oh, work, yeah. you know, all that kind of stuff. <laughs> and 
what I said was I'd rather have that than a, a mousy kind of person who just says, I'm not going to ever try anything, do right. anything, be anything. I just, you know, because that person's clean, but there's no fruit. Right. So, I mean, you've heard the thing before of the different kinds of people that are out there. I'm sure, you know, there's the high maintenance, low yield people. Yeah. That's right. the worst. You know, that's that's the one <laughs> yeah. that you want to work in your life. The, let the Lord yes. work in you so that, yeah. you know, so that you're beginning to bear fruit. And then there's the high maintenance, high reward people. Yeah. And then there's the low maintenance, low yield or low reward people. And then there's low maintenance high on. fruit, on. high yield people. <laughs> and that's just like, oh man, this is a dream of mine. You know, sometimes I just feel like, oh, I'm so high maintenance. I'm just so, I feel so emotional a lot of times, you know, and need guys to like talk through things with. Mm. And I'm like, oh man, just pray for me. You know, this is what I'm going through right now. But hopefully by the grace of God, as the years go by, I'll become less and less, wow. you know, lower and lower in maintenance, but higher and higher fruit and yield unto God.